Polly mocks her. <laughs> She's going to be there forever. And I don't know what forever means in a world without time. But <laughs> it's a little much. Wow, Polly. Children are innocent, but they are not good. to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Uh, I watched Top Gun Maverick. I enjoyed myself. Good. It's an enjoyable movie. Yeah. Which is what it's made to be. It's not made to be Citizen Kane 2. <laughs> it's made to be, let's make a very fun, enjoyable movie. That's how I feel about most Marvel movies, except most some of the recent ones. There's I, there's lots of eye rolling dialogue, but you know when the characters were in peril at the end, I was found I was sort of like no no I was a little bit concerned you know that that one or two might die so um, so it means I care that's the mark <laughs> that means I care good movie exactly yeah I, I wish that you would say what your brain thought like sitting in a, in a theater. Oh no, one or two of them might die. <laughs> but a good story a good story can make you can still like get you wrapped up in it in the suspense even though you know that the main character is not going to die. For example, in a prequel. Ah. Transition. Uh it's possible <laughs> such as such as the magician's nephew. Um it is still possible to get you caught up in a story even though you know certain characters aren't going to die. This is Glum Puddle by the way. And I'm Jim fan. <laughs> I'm still really in. We're playing this one a little more loose. Usually we'd have like a Google Doc we're all kind of referencing, but now we're, I guess we all have our own private notes somewhat, but we're we're going a little looser this time and we'll see what happens. Um, chapter six of The Magician's Nephew, finally picking up our commentary of uh, The Magician's Nephew. Chapter six is the beginning of Uncle Andrew's troubles. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like when I was rereading this, I always forget these two chapters or I guess it's two and a half or three I can't remember at which point they actually end back up in the wood between the worlds but I know it's not super far but I always I feel like I always kind of forget these when I'm thinking about the book like I remember okay there you know there was the beginning and then the kids went they you know they got into the wood uh, the wood between the worlds and then they got into Charn and then they came back and then they ended up in Narnia and then the rest of the story happens and you kind of forget that it's actually like it's several chapters long and every time I reread it I'm like oh yeah that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> I felt like it was so fast paced. It was like and they're not very long chapters either. No they're very short. Boom they're in the wood between the world. Boom they're back in our world. Boom she's wreaking havoc in London. Boom they're back in well. See yeah. I, I kind of had the opposite reaction to me it was oh there's so much in here that I, for, I forgot about. Um, like I, I, I think I kind of remembered it as being pretty in and out but now I'm reading it kind of like wow there's a lot here that i want to talk about on a podcast actually but i feel like especially when i was rereading this it's like okay you just want to get back to like the magical part so it's not like you're re you're like maybe the reason why it feels fast paced is because you're just like flipping pages you're like okay let's like this is interesting but like i want to get to the the part that i remember you know the narnia part so you're like, oh, let's go, let's go. There's that bit where you know like they see the what do they call it the rafters between the between the houses where they were exploring before the little what do they call it the like uh it, it, it's see. where it's where they enter the wrong door what do they call that the uh, the like passageway you know what i'm talking about yeah, the yeah, rafters yeah. whatever the rafters in like attic place yes yeah and they like it's like you know before 
they uh this is in the book right not a mad decision from the focus on the family or something where it's like you know before it seems so magical and so mysterious and now after the wood between the worlds and charn it's kind of doesn't seem so exciting anymore exactly so i think it's kind of like you've been in charn and all these interesting stuff has happened and then you're just back in london um yeah and we do dwell here for a little bit and then the thing that diggory thinks about uncle andrew where it's like well now you once you've seen someone like jadis like you would never be afraid of someone like uncle andrew again it's like comparing a worm to a snake right and uh and there's sort of uh and really from this point out uncle andrew becomes pretty much just a comical character you know he's just getting his his role in the Mm -hmm. story is there's some interesting stuff with uncle andrew coming up later but in terms of the story, his role is kind of done, and now he's just getting his comeuppance. And this is, as the chapter is titled, the beginning of his troubles. What I I feel like this kind of establishes. I'm trying to think if Lewis does it at all before this point. I don't know that he does. This segment of the book really establishes there are really truly different rules, different laws, like of physics and nature between the two worlds. Which you don't usually see because it's interesting that like she comes from her world into our world and then she still has like superhuman strength, but she doesn't have all of her other powers. Her magic doesn't work. And and before that, in The Wood Between the Worlds, she's for some unexplained reason, she's weakened. Yes. And it's very interesting that that kind of changes because you see, I don't know, I'm trying to think about if anyone's really done this before because... You know, we watch shows where like there's different universes or whatever, but it's like the rules are kind of the same. Uh-huh. It's like a truly a parallel universe. This isn't like a parallel universe. It's almost like it's completely different, it has different laws of physics and different rules for how magic work, what magic does work, what magic uh-huh. doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's I, I, I remember as a kid, I found that very interesting because presumably she could have entirely different powers in Narnia that she has in charn right we've talked about how she apparently felt the need to fashion a wand when she got to narnia mm-hmm. where she didn't need that in in charn right yeah. uh, and maybe she could have made a wand or or the equivalent in our world if she tried potentially but uh yeah i think it's yeah i love this even though it's not explained i love the 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 suggestion of rules that there is a logic there even though we're not fully explaining it i've always found it i'm sure i talked about this in a previous podcast but i've always found it so fascinating that she gets to the wood the wood between the worlds um now they they leave charm that's where we left off um our last commentary uh they had that long monologue with the queen um and then they are able to get their hands free they stick diggory and polly stick their hands in their pockets and they're on their way to the wood between the worlds and what do you know they find out they've a- accidentally brought the wi- the witch along her lewis has been calling her the queen and in this chapter starts calling her the witch is this where that transition occurs um so i'll call her the witch from now now on as well uh, so they get the witch to the wood between the worlds and she's really, really weak and, um, she must be finding it hard to breathe. And later it even appears that she has no memory of the place. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I've been really, I've always thought that was fascinating. I'm putting a lot of thought into what is that? And I think I said before about how, it, I think it has something to do with the fact that there's no time in the wood between the worlds. Um, because Diggory says something like, you know, um, like the rooms are where the th- things actually happen. Nothing happens in the in-between places. And that's why for the kids, it's like they almost want to go to sleep when they get there because it's just they're all their their bodies and all their senses are used to time. And now they come there and their body knows there's some there's no time. There's something missing. 
Yeah. And I think it's so fascinating that the kids maybe find it sort of relaxing in a way, or at the very least it lulls them to sleep. Mm -hmm. But for the witch, it's horrible and terrifying and she can barely breathe. Well, we don't really get a full explanation. It's almost like I've always wondered, like, is if the world between the worlds, is that connected to like, is that a similar location to where Polly is in uh, the silver chair? I've always wondered if there was some kind Jill, of connection. You mean. What? Sorry, Jill. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Uh, oh, in, in like Aslan's country, you mean? In Aslan's or? country. But I, I don't think it's supposed to be. I truly don't. No, uh, no I think this is something else. But I do yeah. think it's something else because it's described different and it, 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 you get a different feel. But you, there is something holy about the wood between the worlds, for lack of a better word. Yeah. A wholesomeness, almost like a, a pure wholesomeness that is, is assaulting the witch. Well, I wonder, I mean, does it have to do with um, if there's no time? And what do we know about her? We know that she... We know that she's really old. She's obviously but very old. Super duper bad. Yes. We know that she, you know, <laughs> whatever she can't immediately make use of for herself, she ignores. And we know we know that she only cares about herself. We know she only cares about furthering her own her own needs. And she's completely convinced she's the center of not only her own universe, but all universes. She's very confident about that. And now she comes to a world where there's no time. Does anything she does, she can't really do anything to change a place that has no time. She can't rule a place where there's no time. You can't change anything. To her, it's just like, she can't, con what do I even do? She can't conceive of something that she can't rule and change and make her own and make serve her, you know? So I think that's what she's reacting to. That's why she can't, that's part of why she can't breathe. Um, that's what her and Uncle Andrew have in common is they're um, using nature, they're using everything to serve them. Um, so I think it probably has something to do with them or some, something to do with that. Really cool quote from C.S. Lewis where he said, I think this is in the letter. He said to someone, you notice how we are perpetually surprised about time. Um, you know, we always say how time flies or, oh my gosh, it's five. Can't believe it's already five o'clock or wow. So, so my child is so big. I can't believe it. We're always so surprised about time. Um, that time is a thing. We're constantly surprised by it. And Lewis says, you know, couldn't that impl doesn't that indicate that there's something in us that's not temporal? Hmm. So I think there's Lewis is hinting at something deeply spiritual here. Uh, and I I don't think it's just that Charnians or whatever can't breathe that <laughs> air, but 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 Earthlings can. I think there's a I suspect there's a more character driven reason here. But I I love the fact that it's not fully explained. But there's the suggestion that there's rules at play here. Yeah, just enough for you to be like, it. you know, there's more to explore, mm -hmm. but we're not going to, but there's more there. Yeah, and there's a, there's a line, you know, like, obviously, if Aslan just came back to life and there was no explanation for how that happened, that would be bad for the story. But here, it's like, this doesn't really matter as far as the story at hand, so we don't have to explain it, I guess. Well, it's sort of interesting that, you know, the things, like, what is Lewis exploring between the different worlds? It's sort of interesting what he sets up as being different. Like in Star Trek, they go to all these different worlds and it's basically like the, the, the humans are dressed in different costumes each place or the energy field. Or have or, different foreheads. Yeah, or different <laughs> foreheads, you know, or, or, you know, like something like that. Or, you know, the force field's different or the energy being is colored different. But here it's, it's not, it's, they're radically different in terms of kind of like, like you're saying, this kind of like the spiritual workings of each world. Uh -huh. um, it's almost like 
almost like Charn is a completely unredeemed world. Um, he can almost explores similar things in the the Ransom trilogy. I was about to say that, yeah. Where like so, like different worlds are, you know, they're condemned differently, redeemed differently. There's different. It's almost I don't know. I'm still formulating my thoughts on this as you're talking about it, but it's it's very interesting. Like there's it's not animals being people in Charn. We just have people, presumably. Yeah, like that's mm-hmm. all we have is people, and we don't know that, but. Yes, we don't get yeah. a very yeah. exhaustive look at it, but that's all that we have. It, that they're like a giant race, yeah, you know, small giants mm-hmm. like with the with the witch type. But there's definitely a lot of a lot of similarities between this and the space trilogy. Uh, definitely, I- Andrew and the Queen, I guess, in their own way, remind me of Weston and that that kind of uh, that that philosophy mm-hmm. of nature being something that is it exists only to serve us, basically. But uh, there's a moment here I find rather dark. I didn't think of this when I made my list of darkest moments in Narnia, <laughs> but when they're tr- they're looking for the home pool, and they're about to they're in the wood between the worlds, and they're about they're about to jump into the home pool, and uh you know the witch says no you you can't leave me here in this horrible place, and Polly mocks her and says oh it's for reasons of state you know she throws her words back at her. Mm-hmm. Diggory hesitates, and later Polly argues that that maybe that was the reason why the witch was able to get into our world mm-hmm. is that D- D- Diggory hesitated. Now, who knows if that's exactly true? That may just be Polly's take on it, but let's 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 just go with that. <laughs> but I'm just like, I know the witch is a horrible person; it's a horrible things, and it's one thing to just ignore her. Sorry, we got to jump into the pool, but to right. turn around and mock her. I mean, she, 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 she's going to be it's there. a little much. She's going to be there forever. And I don't know what forever means in a world without time, but wow. <laughs> wow, Polly. I just take it as these stories are about children growing up. Yeah. Children are not going to be the most compassionate people. Exactly. And <laughs> as one, as I don't know who first coined the phrase, children are innocent, but they are not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true anyone with a child knows that <laughs> children are they're very naive and innocent and there's things they know that they, there's things that they don't know without being told but it doesn't mean that they're just good and i mean there's yeah so i think that i, I agree that if anything there's like some <laughs> element of like compassion or humanity with uh diggory whereas polly's kind of like maybe like, or oh. maybe she's just really beautiful maybe, you know, well, we know that, and we know he's kind of taking with her, and it doesn't uh-huh. take. It, you know, it's not till later he gets into Uncle Andrew's study. He's kind of like this woman, a witch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I took it to be like his hesitation was out of a better word. It was out of compassion, in that it's not like him to just leave a suffering thing, suffering. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. I mean, that was my take on it. He is the one who also like created the situation by ringing the bell. So he, exactly. maybe he's thinking, I mean, I did ring the bell. I kind of woke her up, and now I'm just gonna like, yeah, yeah. that's kind of a jerk move. Ring, psych, get <laughs> stay here later. And like the bell yeah. and the hammer, where hey, terrible decision by Diggory to hit the bell. But personally, I get it. I understand. I very much understand and relate to the temptation to hit the bell, even though some people don't. They think that's just crazy. I am definitely of the type of person that would look at that bell and go, what's the worst that could happen? Seriously, <laughs> it'll probably be because, you know, like it'll probably be fine because that's usually like my discussions with my wife and I. 
That's not me. See, that would be, oh, some, yeah. terrible, some terrible might happen, but I want to know. I want no, to know. I would, and, I, and I would be like, I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you brought up uh, when the witch, uh, when they are finally arrive in London in Uncle Andrew's study and the witch, you know, she looks a lot scarier in London than she does with, with normal, surrounded by normal things. You know, she now, now, now she's a terror. As far as turning that into a movie, I worry about the opposite problem. I worry that once you get her into a normal place, she might look silly. It might just look over the top and ridiculous. So as far as notes for filmmakers on this one, that's a tricky one. I think she may feel less threatening once you get her surrounding her by normal things. Does that make any sense at all? Oh, 100%. Yes, but I also kind of get the impression like she looks a terror, but then most people besides like Uncle Andrew and the two kids that interact with her... They're mo like I got the impression that most people aren't really terrified of her. Like yeah. Aunt Letty is just like, who here's are you, the, hussy? Here's the line right here. <laughs> yeah. With ordinary point. things around her, she fairly took one's breath away. In Charn, she had been alarming enough. In London, she was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, though, that you're right, Jim Fan, that some people don't, a lot of people don't really take her all that seriously. Later, I think though. it's because like they know who she is. Yeah, and I guess that so. in and of itself is terrifying. Whereas, in Aunt Letty's mind, like th she has no concept of witches and magicians and all this stuff. So in her mind, this is just some brazen hussy who just came off the red light district or whatever. And uh -huh. she's just completely appalled and she just wants her out of the house. And then everyone else in the town who's like, you know, following her around because she's just wrecking havoc and just making absolute the most interesting day they've ever had they're just more like entertained if you yeah. did it well like i'm just reading some of the lines here but even her height was nothing compared with her beauty her fierceness and her wildness she looked 10 times more alive than most of the people one meets in london mm. i mean 10 it, times be, more alive yeah <laughs> it'd be it'd be cool to i don't know have someone do a really good exploration of that yeah i mean and a lot of it is like the the confidence and the command like mm -hmm. so much so much of that impression co can come from within and it really has no nothing to do with how you look it's how you present yourself right. that was one thing tilda swinton did brilliantly yes she had the command presence yes of the witch that was because i mean you didn't just look at her i mean yes she she had a beauty to her but you didn't just look at her and like oh that's the most beautiful woman of all time but right. you did look at her and she had this kind of ageless quality of yeah i'm thousands of years old i do believe you and right. i've killed millions of people i believe that too right right <laughs> the uh there's an interesting bit um where the witch studies andrew's face to see if the mark is on him mm. and apparently it is and even diggory and polly can see oh there's a similarity there but uh i thought i just find that so interesting i wonder if there's a way to dramatize that at all um, i mean that that's a great thing you can do in a book where you can just say the mark and you don't have to actually go into detail of what that is yeah and, and just wait they'll like make like a physical like mark on the you know like the physical represent is like yeah no that's what, so what's dumb. funny <laughs> is that even though like again with the the and then this kind of gets into like the fascination i have with the rules of what magic works in our world and what magic doesn't work in our world because there's certain magic that obviously isn't working for her but then she can look at uncle andrew and she can figure out where he is in, on the totem pole of magicians uh-huh yeah which is but, but he, he still has she's surprised she's surprised he has the mark because he's like yeah but you're clearly not like royalty oh you're the kind that just re gets magic out of books or whatever yeah. Yeah. um <laughs> 
And I, I mean, I took it to be not necessarily that she has like magical intuition. It's just like she's very old. She is very smart. Like she is able to very quickly, to some extent, assess situations and come to somewhat correct conclusions Mm -hmm. like she's wrong on certain things because again she she at the beginning she (laughs) expects that this world operates the same way that it does over there Uh and it doesn't but she makes good guesses yeah but i I think what really getting at tell me really it's just basically well i guess there are some rules that cross over between different worlds yeah because because she she recognizes the mark on uncle andrew so there's something common to all, all, all the worlds. Magic is universal. Is what there's, you're there's, there's some magic. There's in some magic, magic, but and some is not because her spell <laughs> her spells don't work here. And that's the thing is like, has he got this little bit of powder from Atlantis? Uh huh. You know, and like so so some magic is a, like it's almost like in our world most of the time magic just doesn't work, but there are certain places there are little, little portals. Like the with the Telmarines and little areas or little things that are still magical in this world. Uh huh. It's just not all over the place, but in some places, in some worlds, it is all over the place. Right. And the witch and Andrew both have the mark, and that's, that's not the first time that Uncle Andrew and the witch are compared. They they say the same thing, which makes it more interesting to me. The idea of the exploration of Narnia and these different worlds and Tarn and these different worlds. Because you don't, because it almost like broadens out your imagination. Because you know, Uncle Andrew's just thinking, well, what if you just did this? What if you just did that? You know, br- started bringing in locomotives and stuff. And Aslan's later, of course, he's like, that's not going to work that way. Yeah, but <laughs> it because it, you you know, almost like the fan fiction people would just go, oh, what if like so and so just came into our world, and just dominated our whole world? Like, well, maybe they couldn't. Maybe this powerful person in this world couldn't just become an instantly powerful person in our world. You know. There's a there's a really fascinating line um, about Uncle Andrew that I um, he uh, I went ahead and posted a thread about in the Talking Beast Facebook group. But um, you know he's just retreated to his his room and he's putting on his best clothes and he has a drink of some horrible adult drink I think Lewis uh, calls it. And Lewis writes that Uncle Andrew was as vain as a peacock. That was why he had become a magician. <laughs> Thinks so much of himself. What do you guys think that means? Um, I'll, read a, I'll read a post from Anthony in the Talking Bees Facebook group really quick. Anthony writes, he seeks control over all aspects of his life. And eventually that led to him seeking after unnatural means like magic to exert even more control. What do you guys think? Uh, what is it about vanity that apparently makes you more likely to be to become a magician? Maybe it's like the it the vanity of assuming that you can know everything. I was gonna go with the vanity of thinking you can control everything. Oh well, yeah. Or that you should. I, I think I don't think you're wrong, but I I thought you were gonna say control everything. I thought because that seems to be what the witch and what Uncle Andrew are trying to do. That's true. He's really more into controlling than he has really knowledge. Doesn't really seem like he's pursuing all of this stuff just mm-hmm. to know everything. I guess. Well, it's it's like what's the word I'm looking for? But, that, yeah. but that's interesting because, like, so I'm just thinking this as you're saying that because we've talked about how Diggory and Uncle Andrew are similar. But what does Diggory become? He becomes someone who doesn't seek to control everything. He becomes someone who seeks to know know things. He becomes mm-hmm. a professor, yeah, because and professor. he wants—he yeah. becomes someone who wants to understand and to know, not just control. 
But he also, I think the difference is, is you can pursue knowledge, but you still have to have the, the humbleness of knowing that no matter how much you know, you will never know everything. Like, mm -hmm. and, and the professor, he never assumes that he knows everything. Right. As far as we know, you yeah. Know? Mm -hmm. As far as we know. Like, right. I mean, the, with the way he handles, like, the kids, I mean, he kind of maybe has a little... A background information where he's kind of like, oh, you know, that sounds a little familiar, mm -hmm. but he's not making assumptions like, oh, well, she must be lying. He's like, well, you know, like we don't know. Right. Could be. And they say, oh, but the, you know, Peter and Susan say something like, oh, but this couldn't be true. All the stuff about the wardrobe. And he says, that is, that is more than I know, which is yeah. a way yeah. of saying we can't know everything, basically. You know, it's like, be careful to say it couldn't happen. You the know? witch is portrayed as being pretty intelligent. Uh, I, I get the, I think she's portrayed as pretty intelligent. And it's something, I've seen people fall into people I've either people I can I could name just like public figures or or people I've personally met where I think this person's really really smart like this person I was actually talking about one guy one time I said his problem is I said he thinks he's the smartest person in the room second problem is he probably is mm. but he doesn't he doesn't understand that like. He, he probably is legitimately the highest IQ person in the room, but he doesn't understand that that's not all that there is to life. There's more to it than just that. You know, there's still things that you don't know, understand, even if you're the smartest person in the room. Well, yeah. It's what I mean, like, what's another interpretation of Vane? I think like, it's like Vane is a peacock. I think another way to interpret it would be like proudful, like pride, prideful, like he's proud, mm -hmm. you know, like he thinks he is the be all and end all. Therefore, you know, he can figure out how to control this this woman. He can figure out how to control the rings. He can, you know, he's like, obviously, I got this. You know, it's like, well, right. no, you don't. But you don't know that. And we talked about that before. About I mean, we, we, we sort of had the debate about how much is there anything in Uncle Andrew that has a genuine awe of the unknown? Or is it just purely I'm just in this to find something useful? I think it's starts out as there's a little bit of nerdy excitement while the unknown but unfortunately it does quickly get corrupted into just trying to make it uh serve him instead of nature being something to be humble before and go out and explore he's just trying to make something that can serve him and isn't it, isn't it interesting that he calls himself a magician instead of a scientist i find that really interesting because yeah a scientist you think of someone that is just just wants in, in ideal an ideal scientist just wants to gather facts, gather data, who just wants to learn about the universe. Mm -hmm. And probably a good scientist is going to have some level of humility about be careful about saying we we know absolutely everything. But I mean, he's also like he does encounter magic, so he has gone beyond the realm of science. It's like they're just two different disciplines. But is it isn't magic just science unexplained? Um. Potentially, hey, we, 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 we bring it full we circle. Just we just talked about <laughs> rules. You know, there's rules. I think that Uncle Andrew's saying that basically, like by calling himself a magician, he he's the one who's been able to kind of take the step beyond science. Like it's it's, and he talks about again his his what is it? A great aunt? Is that what he? Yeah, his, his aunt? yeah, uh huh. His great aunt. His great aunt. Yeah. No, his godmother. His godmother, fairy godmother. Yes. His non fairy godmother who <laughs> was you know, actually had magic blood in her. Um. You know, and said, destroy this thing. <laughs> Definitely. I, I don't think that he would call himself a scientist because I think that he's, I think he wants to be able to touch something outside this world. And I think a scientist, of, a scientist is very focused on what is part of this world. I think that Uncle Andrew is thinking, no, 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 I can reach beyond this material world. And I think he sees it as magic. 
And I think, yeah, when I'd say when you, when you think of a magician, you think of someone of someone who has powers, that, that something that they can do something with their powers. Whereas a scientist is mo- ideally more of a servant, you know, just trying to gather facts and data and information, you know. So maybe if he maybe the if he called himself a scientist, that might be a clue that maybe he had more noble intentions. He doesn't. He calls himself a magician. Yeah. But it also sounds cooler. So so does so you're saying Doctor Strange has more is, is he more vain <laughs> than Iron Man? I mean, they're both pretty vain, um, <laughs> pretty vain. but I don't know. <laughs> Iron Man's basically magic, though. Come on, <laughs> come on! He jumps off of a, the Stark Tower in a little suitcase, and it forms around. That's totally not magic. <laughs> <laughs> it's its own kind. Okay. You guys were talking about um, yeah, being as vain as a peacock and. Is he trying to, does he seek to control things or what does he want? And um, he's basically getting his uh, comeuppance the rest of the book here. It, it reminded me a little bit of, um, so what, what I would say is he's just, he's dabbling in things he probably ought not to be dabbling in. It is yeah, a good definitely. line for the trailer. Exactly. It's like, uh, <laughs> you may find this a more savage place than you expected. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of, like, in, in Dawn Treader, you know, one of the lords grabbed the knife that killed Aslan, and it is a thing not right for him to touch. He's dealing with things he should, little old him should not be dealing with, or way over him. It reminded me a little bit, I don't know why this scene keeps coming to mind, but the scene in the last battle, when Rishta finally meets Tash, uh, and Tash says, Thou hast called me into Narnia, Rishta Tarkhan. Here I am. What hast thou to say? <laughs> Rishta was just, oh yeah, Tash, Aslan, Tashlan, Aslan, Tash, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Was playing with fire, was dabbling with things he had no business playing around with. And now here is Tash right there saying, uh, yes, you called right in front of him. And he's <laughs> yeah. getting, like, getting his comeuppance for dabbling with things he ought not to have dabbled with. It's a very old-fashioned and... It sounds pejorative to say old-fashioned, but it's a very old, eternal notion that there are some things in this world, it might be accessible to you, but you don't go and mess with it. And you know, I got the best example is, I think, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, right? Where like you know, one day a year... The high priest can go in, right? Like, you know, or not Harrison Ford. anyone, and like, but <laughs> yeah, and Harrison Ford. But you know, like <laughs> in, in our world today, of course, everything's a free for all. It's like if you can, there's no reason you shouldn't. You know, there's like everything's a free for all. Anything you can access, you should be able to access. You know, there's no boundaries. You're not. It boundaries are bad. What do you say in Jurassic Park? You know, just be, your scientists were too busy trying to figure out if they could. They never asked if they should. Yes, exactly. It's just, just the perfect example here is the knife on the on the table. You know, okay, it's there. Doesn't mean you should just touch the knife because why? Why would you take the knife? It'd be to hurt someone with it. Right. That's true. Or slice some yeah. grapes, but you know, <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> Maybe they can do that in the movie instead of like grabbing it to kill someone. It's just like he grabs oh. it. He grabs it. Like, oh, like, oh, you're you gonna sleep for seventy years. I was just slicing some gray mustard, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I used the knife for the mustard. <laughs> One more bit of uh, utter arrogance, I think, is displayed here when the witch um, sends Uncle Andrew out to get what she say uh, a chariot or a flying horse or whatever is fit for royalty. And I, I love that she has no suspicion that. Don't you think it's possible that there's something that in this, in this world they use something completely different that you can't possibly even fathom? And shouldn't you be a little bit scared? 
that you're in a, in a, a new world where anything could happen. She's just so utterly convinced that no, obviously things work more or less the same as they did in my world. And I'm sure I'll be fine. Whereas uncle Andrew at least had the sense to say, I better send kids and not go myself because we never know what you're going to find. Um, That's where the beginning of the parts where it just starts to get a bit ridiculous. And uh-huh. funny. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think the next chapter, which I guess we'll get to in the next episode, um, <laughs> but next chapter is where Lewis does he, or does he simply come very nearly to jumping the shark with Narnia? Um, if you've ever heard that phrase before, um, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, the possible presence of sharks in the next episode, I guess. Unless there's anything else you guys want to say about uh, this chapter. Stay tuned for Sharknado Narnia. Sharknado. <laughs> shark, nar- shark, yeah. shark Narnia. Shark Narnia. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a no. That's a no from me, dog. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I'm going to go and take us out here. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Beast, the Narnie podcast. Visit narnieweb.com to join our community and stay up to date on the latest Narnia news. Please post a comment or question below or in the Talking Beast Facebook group. Special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our Knights of Narnia Web. Until next time, further up and further in. Further in.